This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. Controlling a computer with just your thoughts seems to be something straight out of a science fiction movie, but that's exactly what scientific experiments are now doing. This week, Elon Musk, founder of the startup Neuralink, which implanted a brain chip called telepathy into a human being last month, said that the patient's progress has been good and the patient is now able to move a mouse on a screen just by thinking. Exciting? Yes. A little scary too? Perhaps. The tech, at least for now, is aimed at treating paralysis and complex neurological conditions. Putting electrodes into the brain is not new. Scientists have been experimenting with this for years, but refining and potentially commercializing this technology takes a lot of doing. The brain is a complex organ that works by sending electrical impulses from one neuron to another every time we think, and we have 86 billion neurons. This brain-computer interface technology attempts to capture some of this activity through a chip that acts as a bridge between the brain and a digital device. So what does brain-computer interface technology involve and how does it work? How many of our brain signals can be read? What is its potential in medical applications to treat health conditions? And importantly, what are the ethical issues involved here? We delve into these issues with Dr. Simanthani Ghosh, who is an expert in neuroscience and psychology and who currently heads the Department of Psychology at Ashoka University. Good morning and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast, Ms. Simanthani. Thank you for inviting uh, me. Glad to be here. Ma'am, Elon Musk's Neuralink has been in the news since it announced the first human implantation of its device, telepathy. Could you explain to us the mechanics behind implantable technology and what brain computer interface is? Okay, so brain computer interfaces are not uh, something that's um, that Neuralink has developed. Uh, it's a kind of technology that has been around for a while now. Um basically they can be invasive and non-invasive. So the this particular device, telepathy, which is developed by uh, Neuralink, is an invasive device in the sense you have to actually surgically implant a chip in the brain which has a number of electrodes which they claim can uh, record from individual neurons, whatever signals uh, the neurons are transmitting. Uh, the device claims to be able to record this with um, an un unreported uh, level of details so to speak because if you, if it's a non invasive device in the sense you put this recording um, chip on the scalp of an individual and a computer records it what happens is you cannot record at this single neuron precision level but because this is now implantable what they claim is that their device is much better um at recording single cell level data which has never been attempted before and theoretically if that is possible then um you know it can sort of these signals can be decoded by a computer uh, the neurological recording data uh, and 
a computer can then understand the intentionality of the person who say wants to move a liver or or do some kind of a task what they are now saying is just controlling a computer that's kind of the the range of tasks that they are looking at but then uh, the chip allows the computer then can go ahead and and do that so that's the fundamental uh principle and the way i understand it how this device works so somebody would have to think of say moving their leg or taking a step in the in the forward direction and then those signals uh, that are there in your brain are transmitted to the computer and then the task is executed is that how it works yes but i don't know whether they are already going through full range of motor movements just now but what i think is they are interested in having somebody who has um paralysis in all four limbs a condition that's called quadriplegia they just want the individual to be able to ask the computer so basically it's like the the intentionality is controlling the computer cursor on a screen or pointing to a particular location and and pressing down the mouse on that so that kind of thing it's not a full range of body movements as yet it's just controlling a computer uh, through their through their thought that sounds a little bit like science fiction so it is fascinating in that sense because the human brain has what 86 billion neurons or so so this has to be an incredibly complicated thing correct yeah this is very complicated and uh, you're absolutely right with so many neurons that are already there it's 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 a daunting thing to think about and that is why i guess that's part of the reason uh, behind the hype that this device is seen so as you pointed to pointed out to us ma'am this is not new technology this has been around for a few decades it's been in the development it's been in the works lots of other universities and companies also are looking into putting electrodes into brain tissue correct how has the tech progressed so far what are the challenges involved is it because the brain is such a complex organ that it's challenging to to figure out the how the neurons work is that the challenge here uh well there are multiple other challenges as well see the brain um, first of all a living brain has the consistency of breaches if i may say so so it's a, it's it's really soft and when you are implanting metal devices into it that device however minute it will create some form of a mechanical injury you know even in during surgery the surgery process itself creates some scar tissue some injuries and stuff so here you are actually putting a foreign device in a living brain now the brain has the body will have an immune reaction to it it does for every everything that we know of and what typically happens in the brain is the moment it detects that there is something foreign in here it will there is a particular cell type in the brain that responds to this called astrocytes and they'll they'll just come to that location and they'll just try to create a sheath of astrocytes around that foreign objects basically sequestering it from the rest of the brain now that does two things one is that this astrocytic 
patches or or they are medically they are known as scar tissue they are extremely epileptogenic like in the sense those scar tissue can give rise to seizures that's one second is it reduces the efficacy of the device to record real time data because now it is sort of compartmentalized away from the neural tissue so there are challenges like this it is the materials what kind of materials are you using in this implantable device what is the injury slash immune reaction that it's going to elicit in the host and finally and this is a known problem that the recording efficiency um sort of degrades over time in, in these kind of devices with a non invasive device it's very easy to replace but with an invasive device you know 5 years down the line if this is not working as well then do you have to go through another round of very expensive and very complicated dangerous surgery uh to sort of redo this entire process and how do you then take the older device out and while taking out what further injuries are you going to cause to the tissue i think all of these are very important questions that have to be asked and the safety of each of these steps will um, the company will need to sort of establish that these are safe in fact and they are a long term solution going forward at first at least the company as you pointed out ma'am this is a brain surgery we are talking about so it is not something that anybody would voluntarily want to go for because as we know the brain is a complex organ so the focus at least neuralink has said uh, initially and some other companies that are also working in in this realm have said that initially the the focus is on the treatment of paralysis and other complex neurological conditions so are there potentials for medical applications as we were talking about it's it's you can think about something and potentially uh, move a cursor on a computer and get it done what are the potential um, applications to this could it be used for instance to treat a uh, long term depression etc well i don't know about depression but as you have said like you know for for paraplegics for people who have lost um, all their motor abilities or even to perform day to day basic tasks i think this is a really big deal um, if if this works it will allow some basic functionality back to them uh it may be as rudimentary as operating a computer for now but if the technique if the technology works then yes this will maybe we will have effector devices down the line which simply is not a computer that allows you to say do basic things but a robot that allows you to perform movements right so if the technology works the computer part of it is there is no limitation as to what it can become um it is now just not only uh, they have started with quadriplegia uh, that come from two conditions one is a motor neuron disease called als the other one is spinal cord injury where obviously because of an accident or trauma to the spinal cord um the patient has lost functionality in the limbs but if the tech works there are plenty of other neurodegenerative conditions um like alzheimers like parkinsons where specific brain cells die right and and uh, there if this works then in the in an interim phase 
um, I can see some solutions from there too. Now, for depression and other things, that is a little bit far-fetched. I wouldn't because the neurological underpinnings of depression are not as well understood as we know, say, for example, spinal cord injury or motor neuron disease, where we specifically know which are the neurons that are dysfunctional. And then kind of we can pinpoint a location in the brain where the dysfunction lies. With psychological disorders, we still do not know that much. We know, we have a general sense of which parts of the brain are a little less active, which parts of the brain are a little more active. But um, these, the level of these changes are also extremely variable between patients themselves. So we don't have the kind of tight, statistically robust data uh, that we do for neurological disorders or stroke, where we know exactly where the defect lies. We do not have that kind of precision or accuracy in the neurological data from psychological disorders yet. So long-term depression, etc., I, I, I can't say to what extent this will work. But yes, for definitely a host of other neurological disorders, like stroke, like multiple sclerosis, um, there are many, many different applications that I think would be possible if the te technology works out. Talk to us a little bit about uh, ethical considerations here, ma'am. A lot of uh, criticism has been leveled against uh, Neuralink for its uh, secrecy involving the um, trials that it is currently doing. It has received FDA permission for these trials, but not a lot of information has been made available in the public domain. And as we all know, science really works on the basis of shared information across the world. So, so what is going on over here? Yeah, uh, this is, see, there are two parts to the ethical question. One part is that when you are recording uh, neurological signals um, and, and, you know, a computer is sort of decoding that into and, and performing a task, that means in some way you are collecting data about the intentionality of a particular action from a human being, right? Now, who owns that data? That is completely unclear at this point. Now, if today, this is not a major question because the application is obviously helping people who have significant disability and the kind of pros outweigh the cons, right? But that is not the only vision for this company. What Musk has very excitedly spoken about is that ultimately he wants to sort of try if the technology works, the company's vision is to enable humans become something more in the sense completely shift the paradigm of how we interact with computers. Now, if you think from that time, then this ethical question of who owns the data that is being recorded and, and in the sense, you know, I am letting a third party company into my innermost thoughts and the intentionality of performing certain actions. So the ethical implication is massive. Okay. If, and, and the problem is, you know, you might say that, you know, okay, if it's helping a bunch of disabled people who really need this help right now, then why are we so concerned? Because you, by doing this, albeit in a significantly diseased uh, demographic, but you are setting a precedent. 
and in 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 ethics and in legality precedents matter so the question of data ownership is a huge ethical question who retains the ownership what will new relink hold on to how much of the data ownership will lie with the patient if it lies with the patient what is the company doing to safeguard um the privacy of that data okay um who has the access to this recorded data and what the computer is recording as intentionality from neuralink who will be then asking the computer to do it because all of this happens within a protected neuralink ecosystem right the computer is their proprietary technology the chip is obviously their proprietary technology so this entire data ownership is in a very unclear position there is no clarity on this neuralink hasn't said a word and the second big concern is obviously the lack of data as you yourself said good science the the golden test i think is replicability right that researchers are able to replicate uh, a particular result and ideally this should be replicated in preclinical models like rodents or monkeys or uh, other kind of animals that are uh, used for research before it went to a human stage and none of that has really happened in the public domain now fda has given neuralink an approval so one hopes that yes they the company will have jumped through all the hoops that are necessary um fda has a reputation for being tough and then requiring a lot of documentation but they have not had a perfect record it has there have been cases before where the fda has slipped up and and they have let aside drugs or interventions pass that have created massive problems um, down the line so that is the cause for concern and then you know there were a lot of concern from animal rights groups who said that you know in the initial trials that neuralink did with monkeys um, a lot of their monkeys were actually dying uh, and and the concern was that the device and the surgery or the process of implantation or whatever happens after that is not exactly safe and then the company refuted it saying that they only um recruit or not the recruited is not the right word but they only register terminally ill monkeys for their trials because those monkeys were anyway going to die because they had some other conditions and that's the result that's where the death is coming from now the problem is none of this is actually out in the public domain and and this is how private companies work they hold on to their proprietary technology uh, the laws there will allow them to do all this and get away with it but other than anecdotal show and tell um, events that musk has designed and and they are basically pr campaigns not proper scientific demonstrations right um, we don't have anything we do not know um, and when i was writing my articles on this i tried reading up and if you go into academic databases and scholarships there is one paper that is published on an academic journal um on this neuralink chip and it is published uh, with elon musk as its author uh, and it's not even a proper neuroscience journal where it should have been it's more about the publication is more about the robotics the instrumentations the chip mechanism etc etc it is not even mentioned what kind of animals um there are pictures of brains with the chips on it but it is not even mentioned in the paper if this is a rodent brain if this is a 
rabbit brain or this is a monkey brain. So the entire thing is very unclear, right? In the name of proprietary technology, it's shrouded in secrecy. That's the second major problem. So these are the two ethical issues. And, and again, we do not know anything about how the human uh, brain tissue is going to, to react to this foreign implant, this chip. There are concerns about the materials um, that have been used in the chip as not being exactly the best choice. And other companies have said they use better materials for their devices. So, you know, and, and the problem is there is nothing to sort of go on and, and verify whether these claims are true because there's no simply no data. But even when Neuralink started their trial, usually any university-sponsored trials that happen in the U.S., uh, they are required by law to register in a, a database. If there's a clinical trial registry called clinicaltrials.gov where these have to be registered. Um, and, and Neuralink hasn't registered there. The problem is most prominent medical journals in US or UK or globally anywhere now will insist on publishing results of only those trials whose protocols have been registered, whose preliminary data is out in the public domain for people to see. And there's none of so one can even argue, even when they come up with the results of their human studies, those results are not going to be publicly available or not even published in a reputed journal with the rigorous amount of peer review that that publication process usually involves. As you said, ma'am, it it's, uh, sounds exciting, but it's it's uh, really at this point shrouded still in a lot of secrecy. Uh, as you were telling us, it's still very, the brain is a complex organ and it's still unclear how these how these little chips will work out long-term, correct? How will your brain actually deal with them over the course of, say, five years, 10 years, etc.? Tell us a little bit about how, how, the, how brain function is. like it, Because, because it, we have so many billions of neurons, what happens? Is there a way to actually bypass damaged neurons and then move to another section of the brain, like maybe you do with the heart? Is there something like that that's possible? Um, my guess is, again, I mean, I have no idea of what the precise mechanism Neuralink is targeting to do this because they have never published any of this work. Uh, but what I would guess is when a part of the brain is not working, so a certain neuronal groups are not able to get their, their messages transmitted through to the next group of neurons because essentially the brain works like an electrical circuit, right? So at that point of time, certain other neuronal groups have a certain degree of plasticity in the brain to take over the functions of, of the neurons that are not working. To a limited extent, it happens. Now, what exactly the Neuralink device is tapping into, whether it is this plasticity mechanism or it is sort of bypassing an entire group of neurons to get the signals directly into a computer, that is not clear to me. And then it can be both. But the safety concerns remain over the fact that this is a chip, finally, that will be in a very important organ of your body. Exactly. It is actually, it's an invasive device that's going to be implanted. And by the way, um, it, although they have said that we are enrolling patients of quadriplegia from motor neuron disorder or uh, spinal injuries, there is again no clarity on where exactly in the brain are they going to implant this chip. Now, if they implant it superficially within the cerebral cortex, there is a kind of 
immune reaction one can think about. But if they go deeper and they put it in a subcortical structure or even closer in the spinal cord, the immune reactions will change. So, like I said, there is, there is so much that we don't know about this particular chip because the company hasn't divulged that information. So overall, exciting news in on the anvil, but a lot of safety concerns remain. Safety as well as ethical concerns about data ownership uh, from whatever is being recorded. Yeah, both, I would say. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, ma'am. My pleasure. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.